0: workmen on the scaffolds scrubbed the granite faces clean. This statue is situated right in front of one of the more popular buildings here. It also stands as the oldest educational building. By 1930, the two halves... Exploring the stories behind the construction of some of Australia's most interesting buildings. This is If If Walls Could Talk with Dean Mason. So, my guest today is none other than Barry Barton from Right Angle Studio. Now... I feel like I could take about half of this whole podcast just to introduce you and what you do because you have a finger in so many pies, so I'm going to handball it back to you. If you're at a barbecue and you meet someone and they say, oh, nice to meet you, Barry, what do you do? How do you answer that?
1: Yeah, I answer that question really badly um, and I can see people's eyes glaze over as I try and explain it, but basically I'm an (laughs) urban... It's so embarrassing because to be bad at talking about what you do is like a real sin. (laughs) Um, I'm basically an urban strategist. So I work with property developers and government and sometimes with much smaller businesses to help them imagine what people will want from urban experiences in the future and then to begin to design and develop those experiences today because buildings last for a long time. So you've got to have a view of what's going to be relevant in the long term so that you can prepare for it now. So that's my my barbecue pitch you don't want to see me at a barbecue i'm actually much more exciting than that sounds
0: (laughs) um and i am speaking to you today we are in um we're in the belly of the beast uh, which we'll get to in a sec of paramount house yeah uh, in commonwealth street in surrey hills which is a beautiful old building that has gone through a, a complete reinvention. Yep. Um, tell us a little bit about the history of this building.
1: Yeah, so Paramount House was, along with 20th Century Fox Building and Hotel Hollywood, one of three buildings that really captured the kind of golden age of the silver screen in Sydney. So it was obviously the headquarters for Paramount Pictures, which at that stage was one of the three biggest film distributors and, and producers. Um, and so they would have been set up here with a whole bunch of fat cats um, smoking cigars um, talking about what movies were coming up lots of gossip and showing their films to cinema owners in the cinema that we're actually doing the podcast from at the moment so it was never really a, um, a public theater in the sense of the general public weren't invited in to watch films it was for Paramount to show their films to cinema owners and at that stage it would have been cinemas like the Valhalla I suppose across Mm -hmm. on the on the north side um, and those beautiful old functionalist or deco cinemas and it would have been a really exciting time so um, hanging around Surrey Hills in the 30s and 40s would have been where you might have bumped into stars that were visiting for a little while um, and just generally been around the excitement of the cinema industry.
0: And when we're talking about that being like a a boom era I think one of the really interesting things to note is you know uh, studios like Paramount or you know whoever now a big year for them is maybe they put out three or four films in yeah. a year, but back then they were putting out 40 or 50 movies a year or, like, yeah. you know, a slow year was, like, 20 movies. It was an entirely different yeah, boom.
1: Absolutely. It was a totally different industry. And another thing which would have been totally different is the visibility that the general public would have had into the lives of stars and all of the kind of characters that contributed to movies. Like, now we know, because of the internet, everything about pretty much everyone and stars come and go really quickly, and we can find out whatever information we want to on any particular star on IMDb or whatever the website is. But in those days, there was like this mysterious skin around Hollywood. No one really knew what went on there unless you were there working, and so this building became like an outpost for Hollywood that I think people were really fascinated by. And you can see in the old photos of the building that while it was basically a commercial building for Paramount Pictures, um, that there are always like people around the fringes of it who are trying to get a part of the Hollywood action (laughs) by just hanging out at the building, which is kind of (laughs) what it feels like today, except there's no Hollywood action at its core anymore. Um, But yeah, it was just like a honeypot around which people would gather and try and socialize and feel like they were part of something. And I suppose, you know, cut to 2018. And while there's a different set of tenants in the building, um, some of the core pieces still remain. So for example, the cinema is still a cinema. Um, and obviously it's a heritage building, so there are some elements that you look at and you know that they are how they were in the thirties when, when it was first delivered. But, Mm. um, yeah, there's definitely still this sense of it being a social honeypot for Surrey Hills and the people that work here or visit here, um, or basically live here. Some of them, um, you know, uh, yeah, or part of a kind of movement of, you know, of social things that's happening in the area.
0: The building is this really uh, sort of gorgeously eclectic mix of Mm. what you can tell has been a a well-curated mix of businesses, three of which are yours, which we'll get to in a second. (laughs) But, um, you know, if we jump back, the the building was uh, heritage listed in 1989. The current owner, I think, bought it around 2012-ish? Yeah,
1: that's about right, 2012, 2013. and he's very involved in the building at the moment so it's um you know it's a private company that owns it and he's the ceo of that company and they have a whole like palette of weird assets that they own um ranging from a big hotel to a small goods factory to a youth hostel they just own so much stuff uh, but Paramount House is his object of fascination and he's deeply involved in the mm-hmm. building, not just as the owner of the building, but as some of like a partner in some of the businesses as well.
0: Mm. Yeah. And you can tell that the, the building and its tenants, that it's a, a living, breathing ecosystem. It's definitely yeah. not a, uh, it's not just a, I'll rent that space.
1: No. And that's kind of unusual. Like a lot of property seems to be very transient and transactional transactional and you don't get the sense that people are in it for the long haul whereas with paramount that's very much the case for almost every tenant i'd say here is that no one would have like a two-year plan and i'll flip it and leave kind of ideology it's more this is a beautiful building i accept its parameters it's always going to be small and quaint in some respects and i'll work within that so everything from like the cafe operator to even the co-working space the The businesses that are in there are small businesses that they're very successful. They just don't want to be big businesses. Mm. and So they'll be happy at Paramount House for as long as they want to be. And that just doesn't have that kind of flux of tenants that you get in a typical CBD. Mm.
0: So the current owner, you know, Mm. made the purchase Mm. 2012-ish. When did you get involved? What what put this on your radar? Yeah,
1: it would have been actually before that. (laughs) We did a rooftop cinema in Melbourne, which was really successful. And we wanted to do one in Sydney. And I'd walked past this building a number of times and had a look at it from Google Earth and thought it's got good proportions to do a rooftop cinema. So I approached the previous owner who was just, I'm not going to mention names, but he was just so dodgy and opportunistic. And I had this really bad conversation with him about what we could and couldn't do on the roof. And I think he was just in it for a quick buck. And then he ended up selling the business to the current owner who I'd worked with on another project. And I was like, oh, wow, a friend or at least someone I can have a decent conversation with has purchased the building. And so, yeah, we went to him, would have been in 2012 or 2013 and said, can we take this idea for a rooftop cinema to council with you? What do you think about it? And he said, yeah, I really like that idea, but there's the rest of the building as well. And what are we going to do with that? And so it kind of started this long-standing relationship um, between him and my company, Right Angle, to just try and work out how you redesign re-tenant and re-establish the building as something which was relevant because to that point there was just from the time Paramount moved out in the 70s to 2012 there were no successful tenants people didn't feel right or didn't work well in the business in the building sorry so we we're really keen to try and work out what kind of people and businesses and experiences could succeed in this building in a modern sense.
0: And what, what sort of state was the building in at, at that point when he yeah. bought it?
1: It was pretty run down and underutilized. I mean, the facade has held up really well. Um, and from the outside, it's always looked good. But on the inside, there's just been like an adhocracy of tenants that had sort of done things they shouldn't have done, like ripped ceilings down or blasted out walls, mm-hmm. uh, gone bankrupt. All of the things that kind of accumulate as being a really scrappy interior. Mm-hmm. So really, uh, when we walked in, there was the cinema in the basement, which had all of its seats ripped out. Um, and really needed a dust off and a decent paint. There was a restaurant space that the restaurant had gone bankrupt. And so it was one of those like, um, it's like a zombie film where everyone leaves really quickly, but everything's still <laughs> still there. Um, and then there was uh, like a web development agency on one of the top levels. Um, and yeah, they'd sort of brought a very kind of um, Silicon Valley collaborative funky interior to the building, which felt really rotten. You know, it just didn't belong. And the rest of it was just nooks and crannies and um, things that needed to be redesigned and reconfigured.
0: And so one of the things that I love about this building is that, um, I mean, I I think you get a sense of it when you walk in, but but then once you start Mm. sort of getting under a few layers, you you get the sense even more of that the sort of regeneration of this building very much has been a, a collaborative process. So yeah. at that point when you were having the conversations with the building owner, yep. kind of w- what came first, a, a sort of yep. hit list of tenants that you wanted to be in here or the actual kind of design for the, the revamp of the building? Cause there's beautiful, yeah. like a, a sort of new atrium yeah. kind of in there where you can see through to the sky and there's big steel mm. girders and yeah. raw cement. and
1: Yeah. We started with, an idea of what kind of businesses would want to be in Surrey Hills and would be interesting businesses, vaguely creative, near the best in their field, if not the best in their field in the city, and how having worked out what sort of businesses that would be, which to us came down to having a food and beverage component, um, which has now become the cafe, um, re-addressing the cinema and trying to bring that back to life putting in a couple of types of commercial tenants. um, And ultimately, we've ended up adding a gym and a hotel as well. Um, But we've sort of worked back from the needs of those tenants to understand how the building needed to be reconfigured. um, Because while it was really elegant, it was quite dysfunctional. Like you couldn't, for example, set up a cafe without actually changing the front door of the building from where it was facing a very nice but quiet park to where it is now, which is a very busy street. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, there was this process of who should be here and how would they want to use it and then how do you redesign it, being respectful of its heritage overlays and trying to keep up some of the design traditions of the, the building but ultimately making it fit for purpose for modern businesses.
0: And so you have um, Right Angle have their business yep. um, space in mm-hmm. here and where we're sitting right now is we are in the um, the cinema portion of the Golden Age cinema and yeah. bar, which is, is one of your creative yep. uh, concepts brought to life. Can you explain how this part of the building came to be?
1: Yeah, when we went to council with our application to do a rooftop cinema, we ended up getting knocked back. Um, mainly because I didn't engage with the neighbors in a discussion <laughs> about what I wanted to do. So I learned that lesson the hard way. And we were really deflated by that knockback. And we felt like it was on some pretty spurious grounds. But it at least forced us to look at what we already had, which was this dormant cinema that needed seats. And that was about it. Um, and then to think. Like, what would you do beyond film that would add value to the experience of film, which for us was like creating a small bar with a decent wine list and decent food rather than just popcorn and Coke, which we did next door. And so we sort of, um, I think we were the second tenant to open in the building. Mm -hmm. So um, after our redesign work, the first tenant to open was the cafe, which just makes sense because coffee and food is just such an everyday thing that you... We could start with that and we knew the neighborhood would respond nicely
0: and by cafe we're yeah. talking paramount coffee paramount project. coffee
1: project yeah mm-hmm. so they were the first tenant to sort of be part of the new era of paramount house and then after that came golden age after that came some of the commercial tenants so um there's a film post-production company on the top level of the building there's right angles offices and a business called the office space which has done a beautiful fit out Um, in the middle level. Um, And then we've just added a few bits and pieces where we're now like in the final straight of the whole project, which is we've done um, basically a gym and a kiosk on the roof called Paramount Recreation Club. And then a hotel in what was the adjacent building called Paramount House Hotel. Um, And there will be a restaurant that goes into the corner of that building, which is going to be called Polly, which is by the guys who did Esther Restaurant. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole box and dice. So it's, Mixed juice in the truest sense of the word mixed.
0: You said to me just before we started the interview, we were we were outside across the road looking at the building and you said, this is the final chapter. And I said, is there ever a final <laughs> chapter?
1: There's always something else to do or at least getting better at what you do. I mean, even when I think of the life of the cinema, so we've been open for five years and we've got still got so much stuff we want to do to improve the cinema. And we've always had that stuff. So I'm sure like any business owner who's critical of their own work, has this like sense of it should be better and it can Mm -hmm. be better. And so you keep trying. Um, But I think like the challenge for us with the building now will be, given that the set pieces are down, Mm -hmm. um, how do we manage and respond to what we hope will be like the future popularity of these businesses so that you can maintain the feeling of Paramount House, which is quite um, dignified, like it's of an era 30s, Mm. which was, very refined and sophisticated and celebratory and optimistic. And Mm. it wasn't like a huge like bun fight of thousands of people, Mm. you know, it was always very elegant. And so as the building gets busier, I think like the challenges of the building are not so much architectural now, but operational and managerial. It's sort of how do you provide people with that feeling of elegance and like an experience which has uh, a feeling which is very different to the rest of Surrey Hills, which is still pretty kind of scrappy and dirty. Um, when you've got lots of people traipsing through the building every day.
0: When I was Google stalking you in mm-hmm. preparation for this, I read yeah. a, a great line in an old interview where you said yeah. that you, uh, with, with the Golden Age cinema and bar, yeah. that you wanted to put people into the script, not just sort yeah. of put them in the audience of a, of a show kind yeah. of thing. And, you, you know, it very much has that feeling when you walk in there.
1: It's really a completely different cinema to a big box cinema, which is partly our intent, but partly just... The beauty of the old building I mean the cinema we've just worked with what was already here we found the chairs from the same era in Switzerland but basically the cinema that you and I are looking at right now is what it was and it's so different to a big-box cinema you know 56 seats only and the sonic quality of the room it's just really kinetic so when you can watch a film that you've watched before in the cinema and it will feel totally different to mm. the way you previously experienced it and so that's why like we can we get away with a fair bit of nostalgic programming because mm-hmm. people will rewatch films in here and feel it a different way and i think like the kind of measure of it is at the end of films here people clap
0: which i, <laughs> I love that it's like when people
1: clap when the pilot lands the plane <laughs> and you're like oh, i remember when we were so much more excited about <laughs> things like air travel and cinema so yeah it's just it's a lovely design for a cinema where you feel like you're part of a group of people who you don't know intimately but you're all on the same journey with this film you're all like really feel like you're into it yeah and so it's kind of kinetic magic
0: just from the space you do get that sense of maybe what it was like having that exclusive experience of being you know in the paramount pictures screening room you know yeah
1: absolutely i mean i'm not sure that people will really remember the films that they watched here they'll remember the architecture Mm. and the experience of the bar and the quality of the food and beverage and all of those things are going to be what get burnt on the brain and not really the movie.
0: So you just mentioned that you got these seats. So they're yeah. uh, they're like the old school cinema seats with the, you know, the... The,
1: <laughs> the lever.
0: Green velvet yeah. or velour?
1: Yeah, that's a Something that's a velour, I mean. yeah.
0: Um, it's from Switzerland, tell me about yeah, that.
1: Yeah, uh, we have a f- magical and very fancy friend whose life's work is to collect interesting furniture And he spends a lot of time around switzerland and through belgium basically fossicking through huge warehouses and finding things that have been discarded um you know by big family estates or whatever it might be and it just so happened that at the time we were looking at what kind of chairs we could put into the cinema yeah he messaged us and said you'll never guess what i've just found and he sent this this photograph of these chairs which needed to be reupholstered but yeah they're from a private cinema yeah in zurich and um yeah we just dusted them off and worked out that they basically fitted and um and plugged them in they look amazing (laughs) yeah they're great yeah they're pretty pretty funny like um they're the opposite of gold class (laughs) i always feel like i've been shrunk when i go to gold class like the seat's really big and the wine's really big but um yeah they're they're just really elegant
0: and so what else in here is kept from uh from the original fabric is Uh, there are there crazy cool awesome things in the screening room
1: yeah the screening room's great we've got the original projectors but they don't work and for us to fix them would literally be probably millions of dollars yeah but they're they're just beautiful objects and they're kind of a fascinating design because the back half is made by an american company and the front half of the projector is made by an italian company and at the time that those machines were put together which is the second world war even that combination wouldn't have happened Mm. because it's sort of different sides of the fight um, and there's an electric light dimming machine, which is like the size of a microwave. And all it does is dim the lights, but that was seen as the height <laughs> of luxury. It looks like um, like the console of a, of a big plane, you know, when you sort of pull the levers back and it takes yeah. off. It's got that feel. And, you know, there's like odd bots, like lenses and glass covers. And it still smells like the 30s. Like, like if you go into a really old section of a library and open a book and kind of get that sort yeah. of dusty, dusty smell. But really the rest of it, um, there's not much to it. You know, the screen we replaced, the speakers we replaced, the seats we replaced, but they're all basically the same as they originally were.
0: You've done an amazing job on this portion of the building. Let's mm. talk about the the newest uh, the newest <laughs> the collection in the, the family, yeah. the Paramount Recreation Club. So yeah. I loved the line that I read somewhere that mm. said that it was a, uh, a gym for people that don't really like gyms. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. We sort of like laughingly call it Fitness Fifth. <laughs> <'cause>, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's for people who've got jobs and families and enjoy having a drink or whatever. Um, yeah, so we were really limited in what we could do on the roof, basically childcare or gym. We didn't want to do childcare because Paramount's always been an adult's affair. Yep. And so we thought, like, let's have a look at a gym and we started looking at gyms around Sydney and thought for a very healthy city, a lot of healthy people are really unhealthy mentally. Mm. Like it's quite an obsessional industry and the design of gyms is really deplorable. It's like very industrial age design and people work out in rooms that look like factories and they treat their bodies like machines. And it's just really like we thought quite odd. And not aligned with the beauty of the climate, and so we thought if we can do a gym in a way which reflects um, more of an outdoor feel, mm-hmm. and in a way which is sophisticated and elegant as Paramount House has always been, then there will be same with the cinema. You don't need a big crowd; you just need enough to justify the the business. Mm. And so we you started need the right crowd. You need the right crowd. Like crowd, there will always be um, far more people that think that no pain, no gain is true, and they just want to go and hurt themselves in gym. Uh, to look really great what we were interested in is people who might think that actually getting fit is something they should enjoy along the way Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't just be physical it should also be mental it should be social and that there's no real reason to accept bad design just because you're working out that it should be beautiful as well so um yeah we only open to the public about four days ago (laughs) really Mm -hmm. definitely finding our feet but it's been an agonizing and very drawn out like design and build program because you have to work with the heritage overlays of the building which is fine because in a way it's such a beautiful building it's like if you if you look at it and think about why it works you almost kind of get a sense of the source code of paramount house Mm -hmm. and then you need to design to that if you try and design against it then you end up with what I think the previous owner's tenants were like, which were just businesses that didn't feel like they belonged. Mm. Like you could have picked up the restaurant or the Coolsy digital agency and put them in any other space and they would have made just as much sense. Whereas now we've got tenants who, through their designs and through the people they've attracted, really feel like they belong in the building. Mm. So it's like we've reconnected.
0: And they're kind of all part of a a set.
1: Yeah, that's Mm. that's a good way of describing it. Actors in a set. So the, the recreation club, even though obviously when the original architect for the building designed it, the roof was just an afterthought and it had just the you know, standard issue air conditioning plant and whatnot on top. Mm-hmm. I think we've come up with a use that if we showed it to the original architect, they would love because mm-hmm. it's still got the kind of quality and a sort of Hollywood um, glamour, mm. uh, even though it's a gym.
0: You just mentioned the original architect of the building and I've, I have forgotten his name, but I have it here somewhere, um, Henry Piner. Yeah. And one of the things I love about any old building that is still standing and that goes through a refurbishment is understanding some of those people stories behind yeah. it. And he himself had like a, a fascinating story that he was an architect. He um, he worked with Walter Billy Griffin. Right. took off overseas to the USA and to London mm-hmm. and then came back to Sydney and then ended up in the USSR. Right. He went over on like a foreign architecture tour slash working arrangement came back to sydney and he and his wife were like kind of local celebrities for a little bit and he was giving talks during the 40s when you know world war ii is sort of well underway giving talks about you know what what it was like working in the soviet union and his wife um was a writer and she was writing stories for the australian women's weekly about it they sound then, like a
1: power couple, like the Burley Griffins. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then, um, and then he ended up dying of tuberculosis that he got when he was in Russia. <laughs> Isn't that? <I> nice? A
1: <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> like, I mean, it seems like he lived hard and fast, so we shouldn't feel too sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: so for anyone that doesn't know this building, or if you're listening to this and you're not in Sydney, the building itself is—it's um, kind of—it's—it's it's on a corner, but it's this beautiful kind of—it's not yeah. like a hard triangle. It's no, this, like, it's a rounded curve. corner.
1: Yeah, it—it it looks like. In, in a slightly abstract way, like the bow of a ship. And I guess mm-hmm. when you think of the time at which it was designed, um, where there was such a rapid spike in innovation, particularly with travel and as a mm-hmm. kind of you know consequence of getting ready for war where speed to, mm-hmm. to battle was really important. Um, there was a lot of design which was really all about modernity and speed and um, it was stepping out of the deco era into the functionalist era. So mm-hmm. it doesn't have... A lot of ornate decoration to it at all like mm. it seems very elegant beautiful shape very sleek but it's not fussy
0: and so then building a beautiful recreation club on the mm. rooftop of this sort of curved building yeah um how did that kind of inform the the design of the space up there
1: yeah uh, so my my brother bob and herbert and mason who are melbourne-based architects worked on the design and it was really hard going because there are certain practical requirements for running what is a beautiful gym, but nonetheless mm-hmm. a gym that you need to somehow balance with creating a beautiful site and the limitations of designing with a heritage building. And I think they um, tried so many like different directions and and tricks, but. Ultimately, I think accepting that the curve of the building is its most beautiful and dominant feature mm. and that everything in some way needed to respond to the curve of the building is what they did really well. Um, and so that's why they've ended up with a like brand new design and it's got a whole lot of materials that are not reflective of the original materials of the building, like a mm. blue terrazzo, which would never would have been included, mm. but it feels like it belongs still. Um, I feel like the elegance of the new design is is right. And it's the same for the hotel, on, um, which is the other new addition. Um, so, it's been built into what was the storage facility for Paramount Pictures. Mm-hmm. And so, they've gone for more of like an industrial uh, like storage feel to mm-hmm. it. Um, and Breathe Architects have been the designers on that. But it's really, really beautiful. And considering that these are just hotel rooms that you're in, they really feel like residential apartments. There's a kind of quality and a... A seriousness to their design a permanence to their design which is really unusual for hotels
0: one of the things that i love about the the work that you do you know elsewhere and here is that it seems particularly here in this building nothing is by accident yeah. um you know even the you know the the kind of concept of of the rec club up there yeah. it's you know got a very palm springs kind of feel yeah. to it
1: yeah there's a lot of thought goes into the ideas um usually just starting by thinking about what inner city people need and this kind of returns to my boring story about being an urban strategist so it's because i hate describing myself as an entrepreneur yeah <laughs> you know but really when i look at the story of my working life it's been a combination of providing advice to big companies and then trying some small businesses ourselves mm-hmm. and the unifying thing that we do no matter whether it's government or thinking about what we want to do on the roof of a project that we're going to own ourselves is to think about the lives of people who live in the city and to ask ourselves lots of questions about why they are the way they are. For example, why do people watch beautiful films in big dark spaces with really poor hospitality Mm -hmm. where the beauty of the film is nothing like the horror of the experience? Mm -hmm. uh, Or to ask ourselves, you know, why do people work out in such poorly designed spaces thinking that the only way to feel good about yourself is to actually hurt your body, Mm. you know, so you punish yourself. yourself, And if you really kind of continually ask why, what we found is that we've ended up coming upon ways of doing things slightly differently. Um, So taking really like common experiences, like going to the movies and going to the gym Mm. and turning those into something which are more enjoyable. Mm. um, And, and we never really do, much market research you know like we're not a big company so we're not spending lots of time paying for big data dives into what people like and what they don't like it's really based on just studying carefully from a desktop or from being on the street what what it is that people need mm. and then thinking about um how you can respond to it and what like the kind of beautiful slash um how do i describe it it's both settling and unsettling mm-hmm. that the new businesses that we've started all feel old straight away not in a bad way not in a tired way but these are this is a very classic cinema experience Mm. the gym upstairs is very elegant and sophisticated the reason why it will work is due to very old-fashioned design principles Mm. and types of customer service that you would have experienced in the 30s and the 40s and so to me it kind of proves that there's real merit in thinking about what's best not mm. what's new mm-hmm. and a lot of work that happens in design and development is like this relentless obsession with new things like how do we keep up with technology trends and what's the latest building innovation mm-hmm. and everything seems to be orientated towards what's new and people aren't asking what's best and i think in doing that they're missing the the benefit of experience mm-hmm
0: i read somewhere that uh you know a lot of the older more original cities they're built around commercial mm. requirements mm. and now we're trying to i think these are your Backend. words trying to back end <laughs> the the sort of people portion yeah. into it so i i think that says a lot about what you guys are doing like the mm. even with the gym upstairs like it's mm. a it's a mirrorless environment yeah it doesn't have regular kind of gym instructors at it
1: does it no no we've gone for a very um diverse set of gym instructors because life is diverse you know it's just silly like looking at a distance at the health and well-being industry you see how youthful and beautiful it is Mm -hmm. but it really lacks depth you know Mm. like no one needs to be healthier and more beautiful when they're 23 Uh, you 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 know (laughs) you need it when you're when you're 30 plus and when you're 30 plus and you turn around and look at health and well-being offer all you can see is like intimidatingly beautiful 23-year-old. So you're kind of scared off it. Um, And so, yeah, in the way that we've we've built the recreation club is to try and not just attract people who already want to be healthy or are Mm. healthy, but to actually look at people who are a bit scared off by how health and well-being is provided and to design an environment and a service level and a type of experience which is just welcoming and gentle and doesn't do frightening things like slap you in the face with a mirror as you arrive or put you next to a bunch of 20-year-olds, um, you know, who are going crazy on Instagram. Like there's there's different ways of doing it.
0: One of the things I love when I look at your career, I, I was at a lecture once years ago that was um – about sort of uh creativity and entrepreneurship Mm. and business and how those things meld and the the guy i can't remember who his name was and what he was saying was that where a lot of creatives go wrong is that they think that it's an either or kind of equation Mm. and that if they want to make a decent career or a decent living then they better fit themselves into this box that the corporate world is deeming you know this is what you must do but but in fact both camps can learn from each other and that creatives yeah. need to look at the corporate world and say, all right, what what skills do I have that they need? Yeah. And I see that very much in your career. Yeah. There's this
1: pretentious thing that creative people do where they think that their way is the right way and they can't accept people who aren't creative or their points of view. And I think that's a real pity. And that's going to be a real challenge for a lot of freelancers as we kind of enter a more of a freelance economy that... There's going to be a whole lot of people who are very creatively lopsided, but they're not very good at business hygiene things like managing superannuation and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff, which you need to know about. And companies do that stuff really, really well. So mm-hmm. I feel like creative people could learn a lot from company people. I mean, similar. well, conversely, company people could learn a lot from creative people. You know, it's sort of interesting watching big companies try and create creative environments for their staff by making them super funky, but... They're actually really dysfunctional. Mm. Like no one a pinball wants pinball machine. Pinball That'll machine. Table tennis. And oh you can it's agile, so you can turn up and work from everywhere, anywhere you want. And it's like, well, where, where's my desk? Like I need a <laughs> sense of belonging. It's my stuff, man. Yeah. So we I, I think that we've been really lucky through the work that we've done. We've always kept an exposure to like the real fine grain of creative thought and mm. enterprise and we're still, you know, in touch with the ones and twos and three people, businesses of this world who are doing really interesting creative thinking. But at the other end of the spectrum, we're dealing with big governments on projects which will take 30 to 40 years to even be delivered, you know, Mm. um, entire neighbourhoods sometimes. And it's nice to try and bring those two worlds together Mm. because I think a lot of bad, bad development happens when... The developer has lost touch with the end user when they haven't imagined what is the life of this person who's going to be living in this apartment in 30 years time going to be like mm. what are they going to be concerned with and how do we create something for them now that they will appreciate in the future
0: and so in terms of the property industry when you're working with you know developers or big businesses mm. who do you think is missing that's not at that table in an ideal scenario
1: yeah. um at the risk of sounding like an academic, which I'm definitely not. I think philosophers, you know, it's the way that our cities are being built and made is really changing. And we're moving from a model where it's been the development industry and government to the development industry and government, but also a lot of business, like, you know, the Googles of the world and no doubt the Apples of the world and all of that kind of Silicon Valley um, tech-related stuff. They'll be, they'll begin to become developers. IKEA is becoming a developer. Like there's, mm. there's, there's lots there's a lot of change in the types of people that are delivering or making our cities but what kind of disturbs me about it is most of the new players seem to be tech orientated Mm -hmm. and all about innovation whereas philosophers or people who do sociology or anthropology they're also required to just kind of keep a grip on reality and to remind us like this is what has made people happy for thousands of years Mm. And so we might reinterpret it in a new way, but we've got to provide for some very basic human needs um, around social connection and solitude and just look at what it is that human beings have historically really enjoyed and build that into future developments.
0: And so in terms of that disconnect that, you know, it definitely seems to be present between the, I guess, for want of a better description, the, the top end of town that yeah. are making those decisions yeah. and the average Joes that are mm. then living in those spaces mm. that I would class myself in that mm. average Joe category. Yeah. But I certainly feel a level of disconnect between that. What, what yeah. sort of advice would you have for an average person to get involved in the conversation or engaged yeah, in the conversation? Yeah, that's an
1: interesting, really interesting question. Because it points to a real problem, which is that unfortunately like the discussion about our cities is really boring and academic and it's held by people in government and developers and property consultants who all speak a really desensitizing unengaging language about cities and so there's a huge raft of people who live in cities who don't think enough about the cities that they live in they'll think more about the the car that they're buying than the city that they live in you know and that's a real problem because we need Everyday Joe to be more engaged in discussion about or more thoughtful about their cities and more engaged in the discussion about what they become. Um, because if they don't, then what's going to happen is the bigger end of town will start making lots of decisions uh, allegedly in their interests, which might actually end up to be pretty unrewarding. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'm like, I'm, I don't know what the best path is for more citizen engagement in cities I really hope that we can move beyond like all of the angry citizens get together in a room and abuse the developers or government for wanting to change things because mm. gentrification is inevitable. It's just a question of whether it's positive and sensitive. And, and so I don't think we can kind of kid ourselves, even let's use Paramount house as an example. It's not the same building. Like sure. The exoskeleton of it, the structure is the same, mm. but almost every single element within the building, building has been changed and modernized in some way and so it's a new thing but Mm. it's a good new thing and so we shouldn't be scared of new things just because they're new we should just try and do them in a sensitive way and um, there needs to be more involvement from citizens in what their cities become but not from the basis of I'm objecting to something Mm. in the council forum Mm. but rather I'm reading a part of the newspaper which is about life in cities or i'm just thinking about what it means to be a person who puts my apartment on airbnb like what does that mean for my neighbour like you know it yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be we all get together and have a kumbaya moment it's just yeah. we need to be more thoughtful about the places that we choose to call home.
0: It's a, uh, a conversation that has no end at the moment, but I so appreciate yeah. you taking the time out to chat to us today. Um, Pleasure. I, uh, while we're in sort of a Hollywoodish building, mm. I heard a quote the other day from Lawrence Kasdan, the right. screenwriter that wrote yeah. like Return of the Jedi yeah. and Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff. Yeah. And he said that writers are people who agree to do homework for the rest of their lives. And I sort of <laughs> yeah, feel like that's yeah.
1: a little bit of, of what uh, you're at. I think so. It's that phrase like um, my life's work. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I'm now beginning to realise uh, what that actually means. But I make like I can't complain. Uh, like we have a really beautiful building to work from. We have beautiful and interesting projects and and people to work with. And it's really nice to be working on projects that will outlive you as well you know like the new stuff that we work on these are buildings that will last for 70 years Mm. 100 years we'll leave an imprint yeah and we're trying to think of what people will need over that period of time and to try and create something for them that they'll appreciate They'll never know that you did it but it's a it's a um even though we work very hard and take on a lot of risk and try new things um I, i don't complain about it at all
0: and so if people want to keep up to date with what you're up to
1: yeah sure um well the the cinema, Golden Age, has its own website. Uh, the Recreation Club has its own website. But um, maybe more interesting for your audience is the Right Angle Studio website, which is just rightanglestudio.com.au, uh, is really well put together, almost like a an editorial publication. Mm-hmm. And there's a section of it called the Urban Research Journal, which is us documenting things which we think are, should be of interest to people who live in cities. And it's not work that we've done ourselves. It's usually just kind of reflections on other people's work and what makes it good. But it's a really nice publication about cities and how we live in them.
0: I look forward to reading more of it. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And uh, you can catch us on iTunes and on Stitcher and uh, we'll be back before you know it with another episode.